Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 12 of Revelation chapter 11, and we're going to be reading uh, verses 9 and 10. Revelation 11, verse 9, And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. All right, now we're moving on to verse 10. And again, it says there, they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them. We're, we're going to try, if we have the time, to look at um, three words in verse 10. The word rejoice, and then um, make merry, and uh, finally, gifts. They that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another. And I think after looking up these words, we'll have a good understanding of what is being said in this verse and why it's being said. Now, let's start with the first word, rejoice. They that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them. And the word rejoice means exactly as it sounds. It, it means to rejoice. For instance, in, uh, Matthew chapter two, in Matthew two, and verse ten, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And, of course, this is referring to the wise men that followed the star to the house where the young child Jesus was. And, and so we can imagine their, um, their happiness, their, their joyfulness. They rejoice with exceeding great joy when they saw the star. And the, this word, uh, when used of God and his gospel, the true word of God, is a very positive thing. Of course, here in Matthew 10, 2, verse 10, uh, it's, it's a good thing that the wise men rejoice with exceeding great joy. And also in Luke 15, the same word is used. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 3, and he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? And when he has found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. And um, the word rejoicing is actually in verse 5, 
when he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. It's a different word in verse 6, but but we can see as um, God or the Lord Jesus will later explain that these parables concerning the finding a lost coin or finding lost sheep have to do with salvation and that there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, as it goes on to say in verse 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So rejoicing relates to God's salvation. That's a good thing. Uh, that's a positive rejoicing. And it's also the same Greek word is found in verse 32 of the same chapter in Luke 15. And this is in um, the context of the parable of the prodigal son, when the father is speaking to the older brother. And in Luke 15, 31 and 32, it, it says, And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. The word glad is um, the the same Greek word translated as rejoice or rejoicing earlier in the chapter and as uh, rejoice in our verse in Revelation 11. It was meet that we should make merry and rejoice. And actually make merry is the same word too as in Revelation 11. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So all these are are uh, good scriptures. We can understand why there is rejoicing by the wise men when they see the star. It's leading them to the Messiah. We can understand the man who sought for the lost sheep rejoices upon finding it. It, it is teaching us that there is joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. And we can understand the father receiving the prodigal son as as he says um thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found so rejoicing in regards to god's salvation program is a very excellent thing for believers to do and god's people do rejoice in in the fact that god has saved a great multitude out of great tribulation. We we rejoice in this. But, however, there's also another use of this word, which we uh, which we see in Revelation 11, and and this is when this very same word is used in connection with the enemies of the truth, the enemies of the kingdom of God. And then this word uh, rejoicing takes on a particularly dark aspect. For instance, in Luke 22. In Luke 22, we read, beginning in verse 3, Then entered Satan into Judah's surname Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains, how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad. Again, this is 
That same word, and by the way, it's Strong's number 5463, that's translated as rejoiced in our verse in Revelation 11, verse 10. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. Can't you see the chief priests and captains who had been uh, vexed by the teaching of Christ? They they were troubled by uh, his popularity and and they were uh, amazed and incensed at the same time by his many miracles. And now, finally, they had their opportunity. They rejoiced over the the fact that Judas, one of the twelve, one of Jesus' own inner circle, his apostles, was willing to betray him. This was the opportunity they had been seeking to arrest him and finally uh, bring him before their council to sentence him to death. And and uh, we can see them rejoicing over something they should not have been rejoicing over. And this is the nature of men, of men of the world, of of the natural man, the the sinner. The, the sinner who is in his sin has an entirely different set of um, things that please him than the child of God who has received that new born-again soul. The child of God is made happy and, and rejoices over the things of God, while the one who is a child of the world, a child of the devil really, is made happy over wicked things, things uh, that are in the world, things that are evil. And, you know, this is what we read, for instance, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13, which is that chapter that is called the love chapter, and it says in verse 4, charity or love, suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. And there is the difference between the child of God, and an individual who is unsaved. The child of God rejoices in the truth of the word of God, and and yet the, the unsaved person delights in iniquity, in sin. And I mean, just look at the world's activities, the world's pleasures, and, and there are pleasures, the Bible tells us. There's there is the pleasure of sin for a season, and and it, uh, if we take our eyes off Christ, we could easily be ensnared and trapped by a worldly pleasure because it has a certain pleasure to the flesh, as there is something in wickedness, something in iniquity, of course, that is completely wrong, and we should take no pleasure in it, yet uh, the unsaved nature delights in it. And an unsaved individual is is that way in both body and soul. But the true believer, 
of course, has the new spirit that does not delight in iniquity, but rather it rejoices in the truth. But we still have our physical body that can be drawn to that kind of thing. And and again, look at the world. The world delights in alcohol and and partying and drunkenness and drugs. And the world delights in immoral behavior, in uh, immoral sexual activity. The world delights in violence and in all the things God says are no good, evil, wicked. These things are are not of God, but they are of the world. And, and God tells us the good things. He, he lists them, uh, in, in the scriptures. There's the fruit of the spirit. And, and this is what the, the heart of the child of God delights in. And especially we delight in the truth of the word of God, the Bible. But there is no such delight from an individual who's unsaved and and they just can't understand why for instance we would want to um spend so much time studying uh, information in the bible about judgment why do you have to get so involved in that why, why don't you talk about love and and more positive things well the the child of god delights in truth and whatever the truth is, it can be very hard truth, yet there is a delight, there is a rejoicing within that it is, in fact, truth. Well, um, let, let's just look at one other place before we go back. In John 16, John 16, beginning in verse 19 through 22, we, we find the word um, we're looking at, rejoice, used in both the positive connotation and the negative connotation. In verse 19, Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice." And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Now Christ is talking about the fact that he must go to the cross and, and the, the true believers will be weeping and sorrowful, but notice the world shall rejoice. They've gotten rid of him. The, the, the nation of Israel and its leaders can go back to their normal activity. That, that is where they give a lot of lip service to, to the word of God, where they, they, um, do a lot of religious things that mean nothing, and that's how they want it. That's how they like it. Just like the church today. The church wants all the trappings, all of the religious ceremonies, and they want the name of Christ. They want to call themselves Christian. But they don't want Christ. They don't want the truth of the Bible, as Christ is the embodiment, really, of that truth. And, and they, they could do without that. And they, they just want to, uh, be in the business of religion and, and to, 
uh, have things designed by their own minds and, and their, they want their own doctrines and so forth. And it was the same with Israel of old. And so they could rejoice and even the Roman authorities could then relax and, and now, uh, things were getting a little testy or, or, uh, to say it another way, there, uh, there was so much contention between Christ and, and the religious leaders and, and the religious leaders were disturbing the Roman authorities about him. And now all that was over and done with and, and so, they, there would be rejoicing. And then it goes on to say in verse 21, a woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you. So there, is rejoicing uh, on the behalf of the believers. They will rejoice. They're not going to rejoice as the world rejoices in uh, in, in tragedy. Uh, the, the world rejoices when God's kingdom suffers what is an apparent defeat as as the world rejoiced with Christ on the cross. There was mockery and reviling and 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 now that threat was was uh, taken care of. It, it 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 was no more, and and so that leads to the world rejoicing, to Satan rejoicing. He was victorious, but of course it's all apparent. That is, it appears that way, but it wasn't that way in reality. The cross was a death blow to Satan. It was the time of his binding, and shortly thereafter, on the day of Pentecost, in God's uh, times and seasons, God would fulfill the feast by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And it was a result of what Jesus had done in going to the cross and demonstrating the things of uh, the atonement from the foundation of the world. It was no actual defeat, and that's um, also how it is in Revelation 11, where the the beast, Satan, has been loosed and he comes against the camp of the saints and he overcomes them and kills them and their dead bodies are lying in the street. The church is defeated. All oh, the kingdom of heaven has suffered a lethal blow. What will God do? Well, it's all according to his perfect will, there is no need to be concerned, no need to worry. God is actually carrying out his judgment upon a rebellious and unfaithful people. The New Testament churches and congregations, it is all fulfilling prophecy. This must be, just as Jesus must have gone to the cross in order to fulfill the things written concerning him, so too, at the time of the end of the church age, must Satan be loosed. And and the end time um, season of the Great Tribulation must begin. And, and God must 
uh, give up the churches and turn them over to Satan for that destruction in order for the rest of God's program to work out. And 2300 days later, after that apparent outward defeat, where now what is going to happen to the gospel in the world, the churches that number almost 2 billion that had been multiplying and growing, and certainly that would be God's plan to evangelize the whole earth through the churches, and yet in one fell swoop, they're killed, and they're lying dead in the street, and Satan has won. It appears his deadly wound was healed, but don't go by those things. We have to look at the overall plan of God, and it was all happening exactly as God intended for it to happen. And then 2300 evening mornings later, on September 7th, 1994, was the outpouring once again, just as the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost brought in the first fruits, now was the second outpouring of the Holy Spirit during the latter rain to bring in the final harvest of God's elect, the great multitude. God would actually save more outside of the churches and congregations than he ever had within the church during the entire time of the church age, which was almost 2,000 years. In just a little season, God would save scores of millions of people from around the world. God had made due preparation for this occasion by raising up the electronic medium, which allowed just a handful of believers, true believers, God's elect for the most part, to send forth the uh, unadulterated word of God, as God would also make arrangements to open the scriptures simultaneously with that time of the end, and the the true word of the Bible was being proclaimed to all the world outside of the churches and congregations, and, and therefore it was as though the land kept Sabbath and had rest during this period of time. There was great adherence to the Bible's teaching on salvation being accomplished by the faith of Christ. For the first time in history, there was one voice uh, as God's people joined together in unison to proclaim that salvation is of the Lord. And, and that pure word of God accomplished its purpose and did not return void as God did use it to save, again, just uh, a great multitude, as as the Bible says in Revelation chapter 7. Well, then we can rejoice over that. that. That would be a good thing to rejoice of. Now in Revelation 11 verse 10, They that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry that they think they've won. They think now uh, that gospel is finished, that gospel is through. And remember, it says at the end of the verse that one reason why there is such rejoicing and making merry and sending gifts one to another is because these two prophets tormented them that dwelled on the earth. 
That is, that word of God, that message from the Bible, just won't go away. Can you imagine century after century after century, it, uh, it, it just tormented the unsaved people. They, they couldn't escape it. And it was God's plan to continue the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ in the congregations until a certain time. And, and there were people that hated it, despised it. They, they were distraught and troubled by it. And they spoke evilly of the Bible and, and, and they wanted to get away from it. And yet uh, it always seemed to be there. But now was the opportunity that the two witnesses, um, again, typified by Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, the word of God, the two witnesses were done. There was no power now behind the word that the churches were proclaiming. And, and suddenly the respect for the pastor, the respect for those in the congregations just went away. It was as though it disappeared and and the respect the fear of god was a result of god's presence in the midst of the church and there was a sense of that presence in those congregations but but what happened at the end of the church age the beginning of the great tribulation was god left the church now it was just men they they still had the same titles pastor elder deacon priest, pope, whoever, yet they were just men, and they were seen to be men, because God who had prospered and and blessed the message of the word of God in the churches to some degree, and and God who uh, really was the one uh, who who caused that fear to be given and observed by those outside of the congregations as he dwelt mysteriously spiritually in the midst of the church was gone and it it was as though god fought for israel and then the enemies were beaten back beaten back beaten back but then one day the enemies came against israel and god was not with them and so the enemy triumphed and this is what took place at the end of the church age and this is why there was such rejoicing and making merry and and sending gifts one to another because the two prophets had tormented them for so long and now was their chance now was their time to torment those in the churches to torment the saints of God uh, as it says in Obadiah in Obadiah, which is that one chapter book that is right before Jonah, it says in verse 10, God is folding uh, Esau, for thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother, in the day that he became a stranger, neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. 
neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You see, Esau rejoices that his brother Jacob and Judah really is a picture of the same thing, has been overcome and destroyed. And remember what God said, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. The unsaved brother rejoices that finally the the brother who found favor with God is under duress and is suffering at the hands of the enemy. And so this also was going on within the congregation secretly. The unsaved within the churches were happy this was taking place. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.